Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements or anything, so let's just jump right in. First up, Fixel has posted some delivery updates to the HDMI kit that's currently compatible with the 3DO and Neo Geo consoles, and they should be here next month, so we should get delivery of them late April, early May, but the delay was because of a manufacturing error and then some delays with holidays at the manufacturing plant. But unfortunately, the boards arrived bad, so now he's going to deal with reordering them through a different vendor, dealing with how to handle all of the boards that were previously made. It sucks a lot. I've been there before with both retro gaming related stuff and in previous companies with computers and things that we've manufactured. And this is just frustrating and annoying. And I'm very happy that Fixel's taking the time to just work through all of this stuff, still have the project come out, and it's just delayed a little bit. So pre-orders are still open if you want to order one. It just delivery date should be next month. And once again, just shout out to Fixel for dealing with all of this because I know firsthand how much this sucks. And uh, I'm really looking forward to messing with the kit and seeing how it all goes. Retro Fighters have just opened pre-orders on a new wireless controller for the original Xbox that they're calling the Hunter. This controller is also going to be compatible with the PC and Switch when it's in docked mode, so you can just plug in a USB dongle right into the USB port. And it uses 2.4 gig RF wireless technology, which explains why you can't just pair it to a Bluetooth device. I don't know that it's going to be compatible with anything else. It says it's not compatible with the 360, which makes sense because the 360 already has wireless controllers. The original Xbox doesn't. So this is it makes sense that they're going to be doing it that way. They're available in transparent green and black, both for $45 each plus shipping, and they're due to arrive at customers in October of this year. Pre-orders are open just until April 1st, so you might want to jump on that right away. And I guess as a result, they're probably doing something like using pre-orders to crowdfund, manually crowdfund without using another service, these controllers, and then they'll probably be released for sale once they're released, which I think is awesome. I'm totally behind that, especially coming from a company that's done this a bunch of times and it's been successful. So, you know, I, I would be happy to support them. Some of the specs that they're talking about are 10 hour battery life, um, analog sticks with no drift, precision analog triggers and pressure sensitive buttons with wireless rumble, rumble capability and uh, a precise and accurate D-pad. So of course, all of those things, you know, we really want the community to test and vet these things, but they've had a good, a good history with releasing decent controllers. So if you are interested in this, I would feel comfortable pre-ordering. That's just my opinion. Do whatever you'd like, but this isn't a fly-by-night company that just appeared out of nowhere. They've been around for a while and I've been happy with the controllers that I've tried. You can pre-order now from Castlemania, Stone Age Gamer, and 8-Bit Mods. I have the links right here in the post. And uh, hopefully we'll see more specs about this soon. Hopefully they'll post actual lag test result numbers. Hopefully some members of the community will get it in their hands and really put it through its paces and see, you know, is this just a cool wireless replacement? Is this a, a pro-level choice? I guess that all remains to be seen. But either way, if you're interested, check out the post with all the links. This week's roundup is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and I want to hopefully conclude the SCART Cleaner project this week. I think all the ones that have been coming in were great. I think everything lined itself up. So now all we have to do is order the final piece, which is the same exact one as last time, but with a different bill of materials, which I discussed that last week or the week before, I believe, how you could have multiple designs go in. 
and you just need to switch the bill of materials. So let's walk through how to order a PCB plus assembly and I'll do it all step by step. As usual, start by logging into your jlcpcb.com account and then uploading the file. If you don't have an account, you could start one for free. And we really don't have to worry about too many of the settings for this one. Uh, I wanna make 10 of these just to have. Um, I also wanna just double check some of the settings, but I don't really think we're gonna need much changed. I wanna keep them green just for the fastest turnaround time, but normally because this is probably gonna end up being a final design, I would choose a different color. Um, also, it's gonna be single PCB, and then all we have to do now is click on add assembly and we're gonna want quantity 10 to match and then just hit confirm. Now on this page, we can verify the design and here are the components that will not be populated this time, but I'll get to that in a bit. Now we add the bill of materials and this time I'm gonna do the one without the comparator circuit in it and it's the same pick and place CPL file. So now we can check out all of the different parts and it looks like everything else is exactly what it's supposed to be. You have to populate the SCART ports by, on your own, and these other components we want do not fill, do not populate, it should be the same. So this is exactly what we were hoping for. Uh, and the part for the zero ohm resistor for R7 is in stock and everything looks good. So that should be great. Um, the one warning that you see here is exactly what we want. Project has unselected parts. Uh, if you do not want to place those parts, just go ahead. That is exactly what we want. So we're just gonna hit do not place. So here is exactly what we would hope for. Now, this is a bit weird, I know, because we see some of these connectors are sideways or backwards, but this just seems to be a bug in JLCPCB software. This has always come out correct. The only thing that we need to worry about are all the other components are populated except the ones that we don't need here. So this is perfect. There's just a zero ohm resistor to connect it. And this is exactly what we were hoping for. So now we could just hit next. And that's basically it. So we have the entire order right here with the assembly and the PCB manufacturing. The only thing we would have to do now is select shipping, which I've gone over plenty of times, so no need to do that again here. And that's basically it. So hopefully this is the last order we're gonna place for this project. Let's see in a couple of weeks. Lou from Lou's RetroSource just posted a short video walking you through everything you need to know about getting S-Video and Composite out of the current Mr. Build. So this is after Mike Simone's work was rolled into the main build. And now all you need is, I would say in most cases you would want an active adapter, but you could pick up a passive one as well. Lou explains all of that in the video and also shows how to set up the INI file. This is basically a condensed version of what they discussed long form on the podcast with Lewis on Zez Retro last week, but I thought this was an awesome video and asked Lou to post it here to share with everybody because I think this is a really easy way to jump in and start using S-Video or Composite on the consumer CRT. Now, the only thing I'll add to this is the changes Lou showed in the INI file are exactly what you would need to know. And I believe if you're using the IO board and not direct video, you could have HDMI and S-Video outputting at the same time. So that should have everything line up properly. However, if you need to use multiple outputs, so maybe sometimes it's plugged into HDMI on a flat panel, maybe sometimes you're using direct video for RGB, sometimes you're using direct video for S-Video, whatever it might be, you could just set up 
alternate INI files, just like we've talked about a bunch of times before. And then as you boot your mister, you could just hold down a button combo to boot directly into that mode. So if you're somebody that only uses direct video, you could easily swap between all of these different displays by just powering it on with a different button combo set. And I think there's even the ability to rename these so you could actually see right in the menu, you know, uh, main Mr. I and I file and you could name it S video, you could name it 1440p, whatever you want to name it as. So you could even access it right from the menu as well if that's something that's easier. Although I, I think in this case, swapping displays, holding down the button combo is probably better, but whatever. You have all the choices in the world and it all starts with lose video. Just watch that, get it settled, and then decide if you want to do the, the multiple INI file idea or not. I just kind of wanted to add my two cents into that, but lose got you covered. Check that thing out and you should be able to jump right into getting composite and S video from your mister with a piece of hardware as well on top of that. Voltar recently posted a video that shows a method of potentially unbricking your Wii U. So this is obviously stemming from the conversations we've been having in the past few weeks about people who power on their Wii U after it was off for a while, and you get a couple of error codes and you cannot boot into it. So Voltar used Gary Odernick's software and a Raspberry Pi Pico to demonstrate how you could potentially unbrick your Wii U. Now, a few things to note about this. First of all, you do not need a jailbroken Wii U. There are no permanent modifications done at all. All you need to do is just get yourself a Raspberry Pi Pico, which is less than 10 bucks, a USB cable and an SD card, which you probably have both of those laying around. And that's it. Just follow all of the instructions and see if it could unbrick your Wii U. There are no permanent modifications. There's really no risk in doing this. So even if this isn't the fix, I would absolutely try it because at worst you're out 10 bucks and now you could find another use for your Raspberry Pi Pico. But Voltar himself says multiple times in the video, he only had a test pool of about five units and all of them worked with this. So he's of course not trying to say, well, I did five, so this is the permanent fix for everything. But he is saying that would be a pretty big coincidence if five in a row, five for five were fixed with this and this wasn't a help. So maybe there is still an issue, a hardware issue with the NAND chips. Maybe there is, but it's way less common than just something like this that you could use with software to unbrick it. Either way, there's zero reason not to try it if you have a bricked Wii U because it's not like the console's usable anyway, and there's no permanent damage done. Also, just a, a shout out to the developer, Gary Odernix. I guess I tweeted about it, and I, I worded it in a way where I made it seem like it was Voltar's idea. It was not, it was not my intention at all. I guess that pissed a lot of people off. Uh, I just, whatever. I, I, you know, I tagged Gary in it. I gave him a shout out. I, I talked about it in the post. So my apologies for a couple of words wrong in a Twitter post. It's uh, amazing how, pe how much people really get excited when they have an excuse to get mad about something these days. But whatever. Sorry, Gary. I hope you're not mad about that. But uh, I certainly tagged you and shouted you out and all of this. And we really really appreciate you posting that software for free because this has the potential to unbrick hundreds thousands of bricked we use however many there are out there so uh, this is pretty cool let us know how you how your results are with this if you try it and i guess also if you try this and it doesn't work let's see if we can get one of those we use in the hands of voltar to see is this really a nand issue or not or is it something else Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted an awesome video 
showing lag test results from every Game Boy Advance consoleizer. And there were some really, really awesome conclusions in this video, including the fact that the original Game Boy Advance screen adds about a frame of latency, give or take. So that actually means that things like Zvenergy's kit and Woozle's kit are technically faster than the original Game Boy Advance if you play them on a CRT or something. So I don't know. I love stuff like this. It was absolutely awesome. Don't let the length of the video fool you. Um, there's real time showing uh, real time results being shown in there. So if you like to see this stuff and you think it's kind of neat to watch it in real time, cool. If not, you could check the timestamps and kind of skip through. But either way, definitely, definitely give this one a watch because I think you would be very I think anybody that's even remotely interested in lag would find this entertaining. Um, and also that Intech gaming kit that I released is by far the worst one of all of them. It still makes me so sad that that was uh, that that thing was released. They were so close to not getting funded, and now a bunch of those were dumped on the market. A bunch of people have a crappy, laggy Game Boy Advance experience. But the rest of them are cool, so check out the rest of those. And I don't know. Also, make sure to comment and like and subscribe and all that stuff to Tito's video because I would love to see more of this. This stuff takes up so much time. I mean, this is so time consuming. So it's got to be worth doing. There's got to be the views there. There's got to be the engagement. So go over and tell Tito how awesome he is and uh, how much more we want to see stuff like this. Because I'd also love to see some of those IPS kits get lag tested. There's really just a ton of potential, but it's a lot of work. So, you know, hopefully the views will be there to justify it. Uh, I'm pretty excited for what's going to come forward with some of these because I'd love to see people start posting lag test results along with these mods when they're released. Chris from Displaced Gamers just posted another video about Punch-Out, this time talking about how the graphics work. And this one was really interesting because it showed how the MMC2 chip allows a graphics bank switching to happen in the middle of frame output. And it also shows how they use horizontal scrolling to accomplish this which that one took me a moment to wrap my head around, because if you think horizontal scrolling, you think Super Mario running from the left to the right across the screen and, you know, with everything constantly scrolling by, whereas Punch-Out, you're in a ring. You're not scrolling back and forth like that. But the way Chris explained it was actually really cool, and it kind of gave me a, a... definitely gave me a new sense of how some of these games work and how the mapper chips work. So I'm going to stop fumbling over my terrible explanation of this and just tell you, if you're even slightly interested in this stuff, definitely go check out Chris's video because this one was really fun. The developer Svenergy has just released a new open source single flash ROM cart for the Tiger Gamecom, game.com handheld console. Not really sure how you pronounce that one. I always forget, but this is a multi-tiered thing that you would need in order to get it working. So first there are PCB designs available for the cart itself, and you could get these panelized or single, which is great. Anybody that's been watching the JLC PCB ads knows why that's important. So thank you very much to Energy for posting both of those, but they also released a case for it. So a cartridge case that's 3D printable that should also work with original carts as well, but will definitely work with this. So that's pretty awesome, both for this project, as well as for anybody who maybe has a cracked cartridge for the original. And there's also a flasher that's required with an Arduino Mega. So you need to have the flasher built and then also the flash card itself, and then purchase an Arduino Mega, and that way you could just insert it right in and flash the cartridge that way. Um, you know, 
there are only 20 games, but they're still kind of expensive. So if you wanted to try out the library before deciding that you wanted to collect them, this is probably going to be the best way to do it. And who knows, maybe this will open up a fun homebrew scene for the TigerGame.com GameCom thing. Now, I've never actually played one before, but they've always kind of intrigued me because I remember seeing them when they were released and thinking, oh, that's neat. Like, I wonder if this is going to take off, and it never did. But now experiencing the library is a heck of a lot easier. You could build them yourself, and if any store picks these up and starts selling them, I'll definitely repost about that as well. So links to everything you need are right here, including everything with the, uh, the flasher. And the software, of course, is all available right on Zvenergy's GitHub. So thanks very much for another very cool open source design. Zvenergy has a few other things in the works, one of which I've been holding off to talk about because they will be available for purchase, but a lot coming from that very cool dev. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these and only add my thoughts where I feel like talking about something. But if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and check out the post if you want as well. Starting us off are two things we're going to skip because we already talked about. Last week, I talked about the GunCon 3 IR towers that are available from LaserBear. Um, Lou also did a video about that. And I believe Mr. Add-ons has them available as well, but without a 3D printed case. So that's up to you if you want to circuit board looking things hanging off your TV. I think many of us might actually think that's a pretty cool look to have, but it's up to you. Um, next was the S-Video and Composite video that, Lou had already, that I had already talked about. And now moving along, the MT32 project from Dopefish is soon going to make it so that people could use the MT32 Pi as a class compliant MIDI and audio recording device, which means any PC would be able to detect the device without any extra intermediary programs. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that means now not only is this a MIDI device for your mister, but you could use that with your PC as well. So that's kind of neat. I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of very neat crossover things might be able to be done with that. Uh, next, Hotego has shared news of the progress made on the Konami CPU. And it seems like everything's been going around or going through pretty well. And it uh, seems like the pieces are starting to come together. So this does not mean that you're going to wake up tomorrow to a Simpsons core, but it means that it's more and more likely that that's eventually going to happen, which is awesome. Robert Pipe, who developed uh, the PlayStation core, the Game Boy Advance core, the WonderSwan core, a bunch of other stuff, uh, has been teasing a new mystery core that he's been working on, but there's still only a few hints and I don't think there's any solid info as to what the core is but I'm excited to see what it is I'm sure it's going to be something fun and interesting and we'll let, we'll certainly let you all know when it's official or at least when it's been announced and lastly Mike Simone has updated a whole bunch of cores that use the new S-Video and Composite framework as well as with aspect ratio updates so there's a ton of different um, arcade cores so if you want to see the whole list, definitely check out Lou's video or just kind of reference this here. So as usual, thanks so much to Lou for doing these because there's zero chance I would be able to keep up with all of this. It's really awesome just to be able to jump in and watch Lou's video and get all this stuff in one place. So thanks very much, Lou, and don't forget to subscribe to his channel. Before I go, I just want to let everybody know that today, the day this airs at noon New York City time, Stone Age Gamer will be opening pre-orders on a Super Nintendo to Neo Geo controller adapter designed by Todd from Retrofrog. Uh, 
So I have a post already queued up. It's going to go live as soon as the pre-orders open, but I wanted to give everybody a heads up because if you're listening to this beforehand, then, uh, you know, that you'll know what to expect. But basically this could take any Super Nintendo controller, including wireless ones, and route it into any original Neo Geo console or any Super Gun that's wired similar. So buttons one through four should be the same on pretty much all Super Guns. Buttons five and six can vary, but if yours is wired the same, then you should be able to use pins five and six as the two triggers on the SNES controller. But it also works with wireless controllers. It works with um, the SNES arcade sticks. So basically, if you're looking to get a Super Nintendo controller working on any original Neo Geo or most Super Guns, then this is something that you'd be interested in. The price is $40 plus shipping, and I'll have a little more info on it when the post goes live. I'll talk about it again next week, assuming that they didn't all sell out. But I just wanted to give everybody a heads up because the way of the, the timing of this, I figured I just want to give everybody a heads up right now so that you don't say, oh, hey, they're out of stock next week. But uh, links are going to be in the description, and I will update the YouTube link to the post once uh, all that stuff goes live as well. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible, because it's you who's keeping all of this stuff going. So thank you all so much. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you next week.